Welcome to Split, the After Ever After podcast. We're here along with other experts and real people with real stories to help you navigate life after separation. Whether you're newly separated or divorced and co-parenting, listen now for tips and advice on how to build a foundation for a more peaceful future. Welcome to this episode of Split, the After Ever After podcast. I am Jennifer Sanders. I'm a family law mediator, and I'm joined by Ashley Wood. I am a certified divorce coach, and this is like part three of a three-part series, really, that we've been working on, right, Mm -hmm. over the past couple of months, talking about housing and... Um, matrimonial home yeah what to do it's it's a huge topic it comes up all the time most people are still homeowners like Mm -hmm. most of my clients I find um some people are still renting but that's your biggest asset Mm -hmm. right so it's it's a real issue um that means it causes a lot of conflict that's right it definitely (laughs) causes lots of conflict yeah and it's the thing that people are the most worried about right yeah for sure it's literally where you lay your head it's it's Mm -hmm. where it's not a negotiable thing um so i think to think about relocating and being somewhere else it's it's a big issue um so we wanted to get some experts so we have talked to a real estate agent um and a mortgage broker and now today we're talking to sarah mccullough she is a certified divorce financial analyst and a financial (laughs) planner i always say that we have to pause i I know me too (laughs) well for a while i was saying cfda which is not right right um i got i think fda is in the news a lot lately so it's like super slow yeah because i'm like figuring out the acronym in my head and isn't there another (laughs) acronym for cdfa uh in the states maybe yeah there's there is i know that i wouldn't be able to tell you how but the certifications are changing for that designation okay i think they've changed how it's being um distributed or something like that Mm -hmm. At, at the and i work with a lot of um cdfas in mediation and at the heart of it really is just someone who's qualified to understand equalization payments and net family property statements and all Mm -hmm. these things that are going to happen in a separation. So they really are providing a much different service than just a typical financial planner. Yeah. And I mean, without giving too much away, just to touch on that, Sarah explains as well, the importance of um, being equipped and prepared to work with people who are so highly emotional and it can be a really stressful time and you know you're not going to get the same experience walking into your local rbc no no not to just rbc not to just rbc i'm an rbc client i like rbc yeah exactly it's it's very very it's a very different animal it's just a different thing Mm -hmm. yeah so sarah was great and i think there's so much information here and i'm just really happy for people to hear what it is like to speak to a professional with this type of designation. Yep, absolutely. So So, enjoy. enjoy. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast today. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Ashley. Hi. We're so glad to have you here. So I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Tell us about your practice and your background. How'd you get into this field? Okay. Um, So I'm Sarah McCullough. I'm a certified financial planner, a registered financial planner, and a certified divorce financial analyst. I've been advising clients for 19 years. Most of that is what you would consider a more traditional investment advisor. So I did the financial planning, but I also managed the investments for the clients. 
the last four years, I've been completely independent and I now just do the financial planning. So clients pay me directly to do the planning. And I really got into this actually on the communication side. Um, so the beginning of my career, I was working for another advisor, more on the marketing side, communication, newsletter, specific letters for clients, because the communication piece is really important. If, if as a client, you don't understand what the financial advice is, you're not going to follow it. Mm. And so sometimes I would see clients, it was really solid advice and they weren't doing it. And right. so it was how to make them understand this is their situation. This is where they want to be. This is the best way to get there. And so that piece was really fascinating to me. Okay. So, can, and then can you talk a little bit about the, um, the CDFA side, which I always have to pause and remember that acronym. Everybody does. That it stands for. <laughs> so how is that different from someone, if someone's just going to go to someone who is a financial planner? Okay. So the certified divorce financial analyst piece, it is a specific designation for working with clients when they're separating. So it's really about um, standing kind of right with the client in the middle of the discussions about what are their assets, how are they going to separate them, what options do they have. So when I work with it, it really is about within the family law boundaries that we have, how do they need to say what their assets are? How do they need to say what their debts are? What do they need? What does their income look like? What might support look like? And while I don't calculate spousal support, it's important to understand what does that mean for each person? So it really is specialized to right in that moment with clients, what does that look like? And how do you help them sort through those numbers? How do you help either a mediator or their lawyer sort through those numbers? And how do you come up with options? Mm. Okay. okay. I, I see one of the um, biggest causes of stress that I see in clients is obviously trying to manage and just just get sense of their financial situation, particularly if it was their spouse who handled most of the finances. Um, but then also kind of what you talked about earlier, Sarah, like connecting where you are today with where you want to be in the future. And I know we're going to talk about, um, you know, owning, the, keeping the home or selling the home. And so many people, I work with a lot of women in particular, are really focused on, I got to keep the house because my yes. kids and this is where they grew up and everything's changing. This is the one thing, but that doesn't actually line up with their future goals of being financially independent and having financial security. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, in any given year, about 30 to 50% of my work is with clients who are separating and divorcing. And so the rest of my work, I just call them my non-separation families. But across the board, 80% of my clients' questions are related to income and expenses. So that idea of money in, money out. Mm. So for most of us, it's wildly confusing. So it's confusing on a regular day, and then you're being, and then you're separating. And so I think there's that underlying feeling of if it wasn't quite enough when we were together, 
it's never going to be enough if we're apart, right? If yeah. so, if the whole isn't enough, certainly half isn't enough. And then, but we, you can't really say that because you don't, you don't know how to say that because you don't really know what you're talking about. Mm. And so I think it, it translates to what comes out of our mouths is one person saying, I need more. And the other person saying, I can't afford that. Interesting. Right? And, right. and then you get stuck. And, mm-hmm. and you truly, you are stuck yeah. because yeah. nobody has any more words to put around that yeah. and nobody's got the numbers. Um, so it is, I find really helpful for my clients to, to have those specific numbers and we can talk about what's affordable because that's everybody's biggest question. Yeah. But how do you get there? Are you working with, um, would you be working with both um, people? Uh, each? I often do. Okay. Okay. So it depends on the situation. It depends on how clients come to me. I have been collaboratively trained. So in that scenario in collaborative family law, I work with both. Often I have clients that come to me before they've ever met with a lawyer or a mediator. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they will both come and say, listen, we think we know what we want. We just want to know if it's even possible before we start, you know, kind of the formal separation discussions Um, can I afford to get divorced (laughs) like seriously though (laughs) I I did have one couple contact me and say they were separating and then I didn't hear from them for about four months and she contacted me again and said we are trying to reconcile but money is a huge issue for us would you still see us so I I will do that as well. Sure. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I will work with people. However, they come to me when I'm only working with one person, I do make it very clear that I'm not going to, um, ignore the other person. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about what's in what's affordable, if I'm dealing with the support payer, I will say, you know, and they're saying, I want this, I won't do this. I won't do that. Sometimes I will say you need to understand why the other person's going to turn this option down, mm-hmm. right? Like no, I can tell point. you this doesn't yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's why. So I don't want, even if only one of them is my client, I don't want them to get attached to something that I can reasonably foresee the other person is, has to say no to. Right. <laughs> right. You're helping them set best interest of my client right yeah helping them set some realistic yeah. expectations well yeah. and sometimes i mean issues of child support would be in particular you know i do get this sometimes too like saying you can't afford it isn't really a reason why you won't have to pay the child support amount that you need to pay right so right and some so people that get that would, wrong too exactly and so that's where when we talk about expenses i that for them is a fixed expense it's right. like rent, it's like your mortgage it's like anything else yeah um And again, I often, if it's the support payer, I get questions around or kind of comments about, I don't want to pay spousal support. And I say, are you, you know, or, or about the length of time they have to pay or something. And I say, are you concerned that you won't be financially stable? Right. Right. And as soon as you can pull it out that way, it, I find it changes the discussion. For sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then they're not, they're still going to pay it. And as far as I'm aware, all of my clients have paid <laughs> as agreed, but it just pulls it into, we're going to look at how you're going to be financially stable and still be responsible to this family that you did start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that there is an obligation there. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we wanted to talk about the matrimonial home today when okay. um, in, in our discussions because it's just something that is such a hot topic, I think. I, Ashley and I are both seeing it. I wanted to get your take on it. Um, from my understanding, what I'm seeing with clients is because the value of house prices has of homes has gone up so much and house prices are so much higher now that it used to be, I think that a lot of people could sell and then each person's gonna get right. their own home. And so now people are faced doing this buyout of the other spouse at such a high value that it becomes impossible or to sell and buy two homes that they can each support the kids in. So have a man right. bedrooms and a backyard and whatever yes. uh, is also not affordable. Right. So it's really creating a tight situation for some people. Can you maybe just first kind of talk about what you're seeing and then maybe talk about some scenarios, um, maybe what people should think about when they are trying to make that decision. Sure. And, and I agree. It's been such a huge topic, even for my non-separation families. I've had a number of clients that have worked with me in this year and their, their biggest question is, what can I afford? Right. right. So we're looking to get into the housing market, what's affordable. So it is housing affordability in Canada. It, it's not. It's yeah. just yeah. not yeah. for most of us. Right. And so, and again, I think we've we're going to have to come out of this situation somehow. It's not going to be easy for a lot of people. And so you're right when you're separating and that's often your biggest asset or a house and a pension are your two biggest assets. How do you find space that each of you can still be comfortable, can still parent well? Yeah. Um, that's incredibly difficult. And so, yes, it's always a hot button topic partly because of that attachment to the house mm -hmm. it's emotional too yeah it's so emotional yeah. a lot of things and really you know maybe that house is in the catchment area for the schools for the kids it so is like it, move, it's they're not gonna have to schools mm -hmm. it's not an easy conversation and it's not as easy as um you know when you mentioned schools i remember talking to a family um, because the buyout was going to be complicated um, both of them were likely to be slightly underwater after it happened. Right. Um, but the schools were an issue yeah. because they wanted their children to stay in the schools. And so I said, can you just go look and see, are there townhouses in your area? Is there anything you can rent in your area? And there wasn't, yeah. it just yeah. wasn't available. And so it's a very, very difficult decision. I think we also need to be careful about making sure that we look at all of the options though. Mm -hmm. I think it's so easy to fall into, um, I have to do this for my kids. Right. And so kind of that thinking that there's no other way my kids are going to grow up to be responsible functioning adults <laughs> unless I keep this house. Down the house. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, you know, when we've got this situation, either, they do sell, right? So neither of them keeps it. And then they can make choices with the cash, which is a very different asset than a house. Um, or if we're talking about somebody buying out, so that would look like, you know, if my partner and I owned a house worth $600,000 and I wanted to keep it, I have to find a way to get him $300,000, mm -hmm. right? So I can either use another asset or I can qualify for a mortgage, borrow the money from the bank and do that. Yeah. 
often people already have a mortgage. I was going to say, so they need mm -hmm. to qualify. Yeah. Sometimes I think a lot of clients you must see, right. They just, yes. they're like, oh, it's only 300,000. It's like the existing mortgage plus. Right. Yeah. So on this $600,000 know. house that my, you know, theoretically I, I own and my partner and I are splitting. If we have a $200,000 mortgage and I needed to buy him out for 300, yeah. well, then I'm borrowing 500. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, that's not the same. That's not the same to the bank. No. And it's not the same to me. Yeah. And so it is, it's complicated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think we do get very, very hung up on, and sometimes we can do it though. Right. Sometimes mm -hmm. with the assets, sometimes. Um, so if I want the house and my partner is in a situation where they had a pension and they often want to keep their pension. Yeah. It's, it's kind of what I hear off, again, off the talk right? That's our, yeah. yeah. That's the first position is the one who has the pension wants to keep it and they want to keep all of it. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can get, if we can get the numbers to balance when we're talking about assets, it might seem like a quick conversation. And I go away thinking, great, I got the house. He got to keep his pen, right? So he's happy. He got his pension. I'm happy. I got the house. I have to still be able to afford the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Houses, need maintenance and we often forget that anytime i'm doing a, a longer term financial plan so a retirement plan um, anything like that i put in a number for maintaining your house mm -hmm. on average it's about one to three percent of the purchase price we forget that yeah totally forget it right yeah. because we can go for years and put it off Mm -hmm. One of my newer clients, when I did his plan, I put in 15000 a year to maintain his house. And he said, Sarah, I, I don't spend anywhere close to that a year. I said, I agree. But you have a quote right now from the architect and the, you know, to do a $150,000 renovation. Yeah. So call it, call it 15000 a year, call it one hundred and fifty every 12 years. It's the same, right? There's yeah. mm -hmm. need to happen. And sometimes we can't put them off. Mm -hmm. You can put off renovating. You can live yeah. with the ugly linoleum floor in the kitchen. You can't put off a hole in the roof. Yeah. Right? When it's my, very true and they're not maintenance free like a, a, the yeah. amount of time that you're planning on staying in the house you like the furnace will go like the it, windows <laughs> will need to be replaced like yeah. none of those things your fridge your like yes. all of these things are they've got a lifespan on them they do so so yeah. would you when you're working with somebody then and it seems like keeping the house is not the best option for them would you work through okay you know, let's look at a plan where you rent for two to three years, and then let's make sure that that this plan yes. sets you up for home ownership in the future, mm -hmm. something yes. like that. Yes. So we often look at renting um, and we are North America is definitely biased against renting. We are so biased against renting um, beyond all rationality. Um, there are other countries that have a lower home ownership percentage and they have a higher net worth overall. Mm -hmm. Canadians. Mm -hmm. So this is not foolproof. Owning a home is not foolproof. You know, so what do you do? So the house really, yeah. and when we say the house isn't affordable, I think it's important to look at kind of what does that mean? And where is the house on your priority list? 
Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Because I think, I think between the three of us, certainly when we're introduced to a family or a client who's going through a separation, the default is one of them at least wants to keep the house, right? Yeah. So we're, we're yeah. always starting from, I want to keep the house. What does it take for me to keep the house? So sometimes if we go through and look at that, sometimes, as I said, on paper, it looks like it's possible, right? I keep the house, you keep your pension. It, it, bought, it, it equalizes on the assets and debt list, but nobody's really looked at, is it affordable? Mm -hmm. Right on that. And the first side. default for yeah. is it affordable? The bank will lend me the money. Mm -hmm. And we equate that to it's affordable. Don't ever do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so I've talked to some clients. I had one couple that they really, one of them was going to keep the house. It started out when I met them, he was going to keep the house. She was going to rebuy. By the time their house was appraised, it was more expensive than they thought. So she ended up actually being the parent that stayed in the house, he rebought. But when I looked at their numbers, they could afford it, but it was kind of going to take all of the other available cash that they had. And it was really going to take a big piece of their income. Mm -hmm. So I, I was clear with both because I did a longer term plan. I said, listen, when your youngest it graduates from high school, you need to sell these houses. Got you it. Need to sell. Yeah. Because they were, I said, you told me it was for the boys. I'm telling you, you can do it, but to be financially stable for retirement, then you need to let the house go. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can be uh, a short term. And often I can say to a client, you can afford it, but in three to five years, I'm worried. Yeah. Right. right. Because often if we've got a younger child, um, their, their government benefit for children is going to change, right? Yeah, right. So it, it changes at, at different ages. So that's going to change. Your child support payment might change, right? So, so you're going to have these kind of changes. Is your income going to go up to replace that? Right. Because your house is now three to five years older. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But sometimes I'll say to clients, I think you're, you, you're probably okay for three to five years, but then it's going to be pinched and there's nothing you can do about that. Mm -hmm. so sometimes it maybe it's temporary yeah and, and I, I love that you're able to present that as an option yeah. right that mm -hmm. you can be that detailed in looking at their information to show because I think in a lot of situations people it would just be like well I, I we can't do it right so in saying mm -hmm. well you can do it but for right. this limited amount of time right um, or yeah I think often what happens is I say to them you can do it Mm -hmm. But you're giving up this, right. right? This cash that you have over here is going to have to go to the house because the bank won't lend you the full amount. The bank's going to lend you part or to keep the house. You're going to have to give up part of your pension, a bigger part than you right. want. Yeah. Right. So sometimes I think, you know, we all agreed that that's usually the top priority for one of the parents or one of the people. I think when they're able to start talking through and when you say, yes, you can, it will cost you this, mm -hmm. then they can say, oh, wait, I, oh, maybe I don't then, right? I think there's so much value in saying, yes, you can, but this is what you're giving up in exchange. 
And then they're able to really think about, okay, wait a minute. I, I don't, the house doesn't mean that much to me. Yeah. Right. To me, that's where that's an informed choice. Right. Yes. And I think so, like, that's so much of what we do and both of us do because I, yeah. I'm amazed so many times when people are trying to make this decision, they don't actually have much objective criteria. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, mm -hmm. the, it really is. Like you said, the bank said, yes. yes. So I got the money. The bank said, yes, we're making this happen. And they're just sort of yeah. crossing their fingers that, you know, it's, it's going to work out um, in the long term. Yeah. Sometimes clients that I speak with when I I recommend that they meet um, with someone like you, Sarah, with your expertise. They're like, man, I'm paying for you. I'm paying the mediator, one more person. Yes. And I obviously know what the average cost of the full, fully litigated uh, process is, right. close to $80,000. So they're really yeah. okay. But um, truly, like, how much money are you going to save in the end if you're, you know, how many mediation sessions are you going to save yourself? How many yeah. emails back and forth with lawyers? Like you said, it's an informed decision that you can, you know, you go in and you're prepared. Um, you really know what you're kind of fighting for in a sense. I think you also know what you're fighting for. You also know then often what can you let go of? Yeah. Um, and I think that's so interesting. When I said earlier, across all of the work that I do in a year, so including my families who are not separating, the biggest questions are about money in, money out. Like, why can't we, well, I don't understand why my bank account looks like what it looks like. I think I make good money. Um, and it was so interesting. One of the families I worked with, she was my client, he was not. And she was very sure that he was hiding money. And, and I do think there was, there was, he was the one who wanted the separation. I think there was maybe a little bit of stuff happening that shouldn't have been not significant as far as we could see. Um, and so we had gone back and asked for more information about bank accounts and, and a little bit more disclosure. And what happened when he sent that over, because we also got the full email and he had said in an email to his lawyer, through our entire relationship, and it was over 20 years, I was the one responsible for the bills and managing the money. And I don't know how to do this. I'm not good at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of what she was seeing as malicious was just him kind of doing the best he could. Yeah. Wow, yeah. And so he couldn't explain why he had done what he had done, not because he was hiding anything, but because he was doing the best he could and he kept trying, you know, different methods and it wasn't working. And I think I, I would say to her whenever, because she did every time she would come in, she, I think he's hiding things and I need to find it. And I would say, remember that email he sent? Right. I don't think mm -hmm. he is. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was so interesting that he actually did write that down. I mean, he was, I think it's hard for men to admit that they're not good at things. <laughs> he was in his late fifties and he's an accountant. Wow. So how do you say, I, I was overwhelmed by running our family stuff and yeah. I did the best I could like that, that took a lot for him to say that. And she really needed to be reminded. And, and once we were able to talk that through, she could then move on to something else. Right. I could say, remember, mm -hmm he was just as confused as you. 
So let's work with what we do know. And remember, we, we haven't found anything big as far as him really kind of siphoning off money or, or doing anything like that. Right. So let's look at the decisions that you actually need to make today. Right. Yeah. So right. I think, Ashley, you're right. Is it an additional cost? It is. Mm -hmm. But when you look at what's at stake. Yeah, of course. The cost of, of digging in your heels and getting stuck. Um, the cost of, of asking for something that just isn't there. Mm -hmm. One of my clients right now is $125,000 in with the forensic accountants. Yeah. As he says, you know, my, my soon to be ex thinks I'm hiding millions. I hope they find it because I could use it. Right I now. need them. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. So I think, you know, in that case, it's not there. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so to focus on the decisions that you need to make, because my, for my separation families, unlike my other families, if you miss a year of savings, we can make that up, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you miss a couple of years, if I've done your plan for you and your partner, and we agree on a savings amount, if you miss for a couple of years, we can get you back on track, mm -hmm. right? Or if you, you know, had some unexpected expenses, had a line of credit, we can figure out how to get that gone. In a separation, this is a big decision. This is really the, the biggest decision you're gonna make that is very difficult or impossible to undo. Yeah, yeah. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when people are dealing with their pensions, yeah, the yeah. home, all this stuff. Right, mm -hmm. like once you sign, that's it, and you're, you're kind of stuck with what you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to maneuver, but <laughs> right, yeah. right, exactly. So, would you say, Sarah, in in your work, is that kind of maybe one of the the big mistakes that you see people make is just not gathering the information, just not wanting to take the time to get the proper info? Yes, or not not understanding what it is that you need to know, mm, right? Okay. Like as we've said, if the bank will lend you the money, we assume that's because it's affordable. Right. I've been saying to my clients for 19 years about mortgages, the banks don't care if you eat. Right. Yeah. The banks don't care if your kids are in hockey. The banks don't care if you are also caring for your parents and are taking time off work, right? So the banks really look at, and we will do a lot of things to keep our houses. Mm -hmm. So they don't factor in all of those other things that may make it unaffordable when we look at your entire life and your entire priority list, right? right? So mm -hmm. I think the biggest mistakes are not understanding what's actually affordable, either flat out what's affordable or what's affordable in our priority list, like what really matters. Right. Mm -hmm. I think often I say to clients because there is that sense of, I don't want any more changes for the kids. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we also mean, I don't want any more changes for me. Yeah, I don't think I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, kids need good parents. They don't, I don't know that they need a house. I don't know that they need a particular house. Mm -hmm. They need stable parents and a financially stable parent is a better parent, right? So whether that means um, maybe you do 
Maybe one of you does keep the house, but if you know you've got a, a kind of time limit, that client I mentioned earlier, that was probably okay for three to five years, keep it and then make a plan to sell. Do you see what I mean? If you need to spread out the changes, do right. that. Yeah. Right. But sometimes we think, you know, I think the, the first mistake is not looking at whether it's affordable then assuming it's affordable because it balances on the assets and debt and we mm -hmm. didn't look at, at the income needed. But I think the third one is if that's what you need to do for now, you can make a different decision later. Yeah. You can do that later and yeah. that's okay. It's not a failure mm -hmm. on your part. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you, yeah, you, you can not. just make it work and then you fail when you got to sell it, but that's right. part of the plan. Right. And, yeah. and I think we honestly forget that. Yeah. One of my clients came to me, she was most of the way through a mediation and then got cold feet about what she had agreed to. Mm -hmm. So she was agreeing to keep the house. He was going to keep his pension. Um, and I was talking to her and partway through the conversation, she says to me, I really hate that house. <laughs> oh, I yeah. said, okay, yeah. well, it, you could sell it and, and divide. And she said, listen, we're so far into mediation. We're almost done. That would be like blowing everything up. Yeah. She yeah. was sure that he would be furious yeah. if she came back. And I said, okay, all right. I, that makes sense. I said, okay, so go through and, and the draft that you have, you can sign it because she could afford the house and everything else. I said, listen, go through and sign that agreement then. And then when the house is in your name, you can sell it. Right. And she said, what? <laughs> she was floored. Yeah. She said, what? she said, no, I, but I kept the house. I said, yes, but after it's in your name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. sell it. And, yeah. and in any other conversation, if you would have asked her, if you own something, can you sell the thing whenever you want? She would have said, of course you can. Yeah. Right. So in any other context, she would have seen that as an option. And, and it was so interesting that she just got stuck. She said, but I agreed to keep the house. Right. Right. Kind of, but not really. Yeah. Not right. forever. Yeah. You're going to keep it. Yeah. In this. So. I, I think. And as it turned out, she actually did go back and they did renegotiate and they sold the house. Okay. Oh, wow. And divide it. Right. So again, it is about, you're not always as stuck as maybe you think you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you can come back with numbers and say, listen, here are my concerns. Here are my actual concerns. Instead of saying it's not enough or I can't afford it. Right. These are my concerns. These are my priorities. And for them, they had a son, right? Yeah. So again, if, if you can focus on the priorities, sometimes there's more similarities than differences yeah. between the parents or, or between the couple. So I think it is about looking at all of your options right now, especially yeah. with house prices where they are. And I am seeing a lot more of this sort of you know, outside the box solutions where yeah. like you alluded to um, one parent will you know allow the other with the kids to stay for two years or something and then so they take a partial buyout and then right. two years they're gonna sell um and that can even be advantageous for that person because they're going to still share in the appreciation like they you know they work all of this out um or uh offsetting with spousal payments right so they're gonna right. pay less spousal in right right so so yeah yeah. To be clear, I've never had a couple agree to a deferred buyout. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've done that a few times. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. one, the one that I had where I was saying to, it was, it was mom that wanted to keep the house. When I was saying to mom, you're good for three to five years. That was a full buyout of dad. Right. Okay. Right. I think, um, I, where I've seen, um, kind of adjustments to kind of hit the family goals. Sometimes it is on the value of the house. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they'll say, you know, I agree. The market says it's worth 600, but we're, we're talking about 500. Yep. Right. And, and, you know, you mentioned offsetting with spousal. I think the delayed buyout is tricky for both people. It can be for sure. And when I've talked to them again, it, about the the tiny things that we don't talk about so when the roof leaks who's paying for that mm-hmm. yeah right and and it does it continues to tie them together that's the biggest yeah. downside yeah. yeah so we always do details like anything yes. to the upkeep of the home they will share yes regular carrying costs the person staying is going to pay for it. but sure for sure they're still tied to each other you know if the home burns down who what are you going to do then like all you know it there's is obviously like it's, yeah. it's so, There's but I think we're going to have to have a few more of those conversations. Yeah, yeah. With where yeah. the real estate market is right now. Well, and that's the thing. And I and I do see, you know, it's not uncommon that when both parents just realize, okay, we want our kids to be in a house that has bedrooms for them. Yes. We both can't afford a place no. like that, yeah. renting or otherwise. And it just I, isn't gonna happen. Yeah. Right? I was going to say so, renting is not yeah um, the easy solution either when we're talking about bedrooms for kids right mm-hmm. yeah where the kids yeah. come in so yeah. i sometimes do see one parent just in their own you know becomes a, a conscious thing and they look at their family and look at the needs of the kids say okay i'm gonna take a small apartment for yes. five years or whatever so that the kids can stay in the house um or undervaluing like yes. taking a much less equalization payment yeah. but it's it works for them like to them it's fair they yep. they want their kids in the house They're, it's it's worth it to them and yes. they are moving on in their life with a good conscience they feel good about yes. the choice so you know those factors can can come into it as well i agree and i i certainly seen um both you know either parent walk away from um spousal amounts yeah from equalization amounts because again, it's that going through the goals. What do you right. really yeah. want here? And what what tools do we have? How yeah. can we make this happen? And I think um, I think sometimes they are then able to communicate better after the separation. And I think financially, if they both feel more stable, they can do more either for the kids or each other. Yes, yeah. that's so I've, important. I've yeah. seen payments made that were not mandated. Yeah. And I I mean, I would never want somebody to bank on those. Exactly. <laughs> but if you can get through the discussion in in a very focused way, that it really is about what what common goals do we have mm-hmm. and what tools do we have to make them happen and how can we be most financially stable at when we're both out right not just one when we're both out i think there is a real opportunity there 
for things to happen that we just don't see in yeah. the moment. Yeah, I think you're right. We talk about that all the time, like the way that you go through the process, that's going to set you up for oh. either an amicable situation <laughs> at the end or, you know, until your kids are 18 and really, I guess, beyond of just I, a lot I of conflict. I will tell my clients, I say, listen, you take yourself out of this process. So yeah. whoever you are in this process, that's who you're taking out. Don't think you can be a jerk in this. Mm -hmm and then come out and you're going to be a great person you're not yeah good point right good point. yeah so it is about yes it's difficult and it's scary um whether you're the one making and i find it that piece is more around the payments right support payments yeah. for either kids or or spousal um if you start goofing around with those or, or being dishonest or digging in your heels, I don't think that's going to help you down the road. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. And again, going back to the priorities. Well, you said the priorities are your kids. So what do you want to teach them mm -hmm. about being a parent about what's important? Yeah. Um, and I think just having that clarity and, and having the space to have that discussion when it's connected to the money Right. I think, Ashley, you must have a lot of those conversations with your clients about like, what do you want and how do you want to be and how do you want to communicate yeah. and and problem solving now with this person that you have a very different relationship with. And some of those things for them, though, I find are so connected to the money. Yeah. If you can't when you can have the who do you want to be a little bit of that directly with the money. I find clients, then it's such a relief to them. Yeah, for it's, sure. Right. Even when it's not the outcome that they wanted necessarily. Yeah, right? I, I, see, I, I see that. And also, I think you referenced this earlier about um, your client who in the moment, she could not see kind of what was so clearly right in front of her, but in any other situation, it would be so obvious. And I'm sure that's something that the three of us work on a lot. It's just the emotions are so high that you're truly not able to access the critical thinking and problem solving portion of your, of your brain. Like you just, you can't get there. So, and I love everything that you're saying and how all the ways in which you help clients, because this is like, this is not service that you would get just going no. into your local bank. Um, no, so no. There's just, there's so much value in working with you. I'm really glad that we're covering all this today. It's really very valuable. Few, very few financial advisors um, are comfortable doing extensive planning. So we, as an industry in Canada, I think financial planning is almost non-existent. We, we slap the name financial plan on a lot of documents that are not really great plans, honestly. Um, that's a lot of the reason I'm now independent and not working for a firm. But I think the additional piece of um, working through with a client what's happening when you separate, because as you just said, it's such an emotional time. It's intimidating for advisors. Yeah. Um, I sometimes have other advisors call me and ask me about the designation and they say, I'm thinking of getting the designation. Um, and usually now I say right up front, is it because you also manage investments and you just want to manage the new money once they're done the separation? 
And if they say yes, I say, don't do this then. Like, don't get the designation. Do it, market yourself another way if that's the market you want. Yeah. Um, or I'll say, how are you with emotional clients? Hey, there's, there's crying in my office. There's sometimes door slamming when we used to see clients in person. <laughs> <laughs> My door like my <laughs> I know my door slams really well. It's actually quite satisfying to slam my door. <laughs> but you know, the last client that slammed my door um, and I was working for both of them and he said something, she really, she just didn't see it coming. She didn't see it coming. And um, part of it was she realized in the meeting, he had emailed this to me ahead of the meeting. So I had asked them both for their options on how might you keep the house and how might you divide these things. And so they had emailed me separately and he came up with an option that she wasn't expecting and, and she just, she just couldn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she ended up leaving abruptly and she slammed the door and, you know, within four hours, they were talking again. She had sent me an email apologizing in my opinion, that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was so pleased. That's excellent. Um, I yeah. know. And you got an apology. I mean, oh my gosh, uh, wow. Yeah, that's more than I get. It's completely <laughs> fair to be overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. It is overwhelming. Yep. Yeah. It's yep. not something you went into this relationship wanting, planning for. Um, and as I say, most of us are confused by our money on regular days. Yeah. yeah. This is a lot to ask. It's, it's a, lot. Really a lot to ask. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. You've given so much information. I really love because of how you presented what you do. I think it's also given people not just information, you know, the specifics about the matrimonial home right. issue, but of what someone like you can do right yeah, of yes. just like Ashley said I think a lot of people don't know what they don't know so they just no. assume you know the planner at the desk in the bank is the yeah. same as what they would get with anyone else so I love that people could just hear you speak about what you do yeah. and the options and, and how much is there where can people get a hold of you and um, learn more about you uh, so you can email me directly. So it's just Sarah, which is S-A-R-A at WDDevelopment.ca. Um, I am on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me in a lot of places. And you can also book directly into my calendar from my website. So I do a 30-minute introductory call with any of my clients that I don't charge for. So when I said earlier that communication is important, that call really gives both of us time to figure out, you get to figure out how I work and how I communicate. I get to understand what you're looking for and how you communicate, because if it's not a fit, neither of us need that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that that 30 minute call has been so, so helpful so many times. Perfect. And we'll also put your information and people listening oh, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect. This episode. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. So Thank much. you so much, Sarah. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.